I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We're going to take a break from Ephesians for this week, and then I'm going to actually be gone next week, so for a couple of weeks, and we'll come back to our look at the book of Ephesians. Uh, But Acts chapter 4, we talked already in Ephesians about Paul's prayer for the church, and we saw that there, it was a good model in, in Ephesians for how we could pray for our, each other and how we can pray for ourselves. But now I want to turn to the church praying, as we've been doing this morning, and the church's prayer. And one of the great places to turn is early in the book of Acts because that's the church kind of an embryo. The, the, the original purpose of the church is seen in that, that first uh, church. Uh, we read about part of that already in Acts 2, 42 to 47, and we noted that one of the things that the church was called to was prayer. Well, since that time, Peter and John have healed a man, a lame man, uh, at the, one of the gates of the temple. Then uh, people at, were asking them how that happened, and so they were explaining that it was by the name of Jesus and by his power, the Jesus that, that had been crucified but now was raised from the dead, and that he is the Messiah. And they were pro- making that proclamation in Solomon's colonnade, which is one of the parts of one of the, the courts in the temple. And as you might uh, imagine, that got the attention of the temple leaders and the temple guard, and they show up. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read that in just a moment, but let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, as we seek to understand how we pray to you as a church We pray that you might embolden us as you emboldened the early church in uh, coming to you and and bringing our prayers to you, uh, that we might not only uh, worship you through our prayer, but that you might also energize us to go back out to work for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start just with Acts 4, 1 to 22, and then keep your Bibles open because there's a little bit more we're going to read beyond that. Acts 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And as the high priest was there, so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called an account today for an act of kindness, shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed? Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved." When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with him, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What 
What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now we'll stop there for a moment. Just keep your Bibles open. But whether it is my digital camera or, or the microphone I hear, use here at church, many electronics today have rechargeable batteries. After using them for a while, the batteries have to be put back in the charger so that they can be recharged and go back into use. And if they're used too long without charging, they may give a little surge of energy but then die out. Well, Peter and John have just healed a crippled beggar, preached the good news, bad news for some, of the gospel, been imprisoned, and confronted the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. It was time to be recharged. So they went back to the church, which, as we know from the early church, was not a building. They had no building yet, but a people. They went back to the church for fellowship, and they prayed together, and then they were re-energized and went back to work. Do we follow the same pattern? Do we use Sunday fellowship and worship to recharge our batteries? Do we spend time in communal and individual prayer to God for the energy of the Holy Spirit so we can go back to work for Christ? A church at work is a church at prayer. Well, how do they pray? Well, let's pick it up at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So back to our analogy, a battery charger itself is useless without being plugged into a power source. And worship and prayers are useless without opening ourselves up to the source of all power. So the early church models for us the need for reminders before requests. Reminders before requests. First, when they pray, they remind themselves of God's power. Verse 24, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. 
the apostles and the rest of the church were, were exhausted, perhaps scared. So they reminded themselves that they pray to the sovereign Lord. The, the Greek word despotes speaks of a ruler of unchallengeable power and authority. And this is the creator God who has all authority because he is the author of all creation. And even the Sadducees, Sanhedrin, and Roman leaders had to answer to him. As a church and individuals, we sometimes face overwhelming obstacles. Declining church membership, shrinking budget, antagonistic world, obstacles to reaching our community, serious illness, death of family or members. Do we pray reminding ourselves of God's power for us? Annie Dillard wrote in one of her books, Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. Do we understand the power of the God who is in our presence? But then they go on in their prayer to remind themselves of the promises of God's word. And, and the quote actually is from Psalm 2, set in the context of this confederacy of world powers, different kings threatening Israel. And in light of that comes one of the great Old Testament promises of God. I'm going to read the entire psalm, Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be warned. Be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's a heartening reminder that God laughs at the nations when they try to take him on. He, he dares them to challenge his people. He promises that his king, his Messiah, is in control with power to rule them and smash them if necessary. And this promise remains for his people, the church of Jesus the Messiah. The anointed one has come and rules over the world at the right hand of the Father. With divine laughter, he scoffs at those who would attack his church, his people. As we pray, do we remind ourselves of a God who fulfills those promises? Can we find ourselves laughing with God at times? Well, the New Testament church laughed with God because they saw his promises uh, being fulfilled. They saw his providential care in their lives. Verses 27 and 28, they, they prayed, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. 
They decided what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Psalm 2 came to life for them as they saw the very thing that the psalm was written about happening. Herod Antipas, the Jewish king on behalf of Rome, Pontius Pilate, the Roman leader, together with some of the people of Israel, particularly the temple leaders and the nations represented by Gentile soldiers, were all conspiring against the anointed one, Messiah Jesus. But God's promise was fulfilled in a unique and unanticipated way. Death on a cross, where he looked weak, but broke the power of sin and Satan. And of course, the miraculous resurrection to break the power of death. You can almost hear God laughing on Easter Sunday. So the early church reminded themselves that this was part of God's plan, and so were they. Have we given ourselves over to God's providential plan for our lives, for our church? Do we remind ourselves that, that the God of the resurrection and, and of our God of our mediators in control of situa- our situation as well? Only after envisioning a God of power who provides what he promises did they then bring their requests. And that's a good prayer model for us to remind ourselves of a God who is willing and able to answer our prayers and to re-energize us before coming with our requests. Now back to our battery analogy. Not every battery works in a charger. Only batteries that are rechargeable, that are open to being recharged. Are we rechargeable Christians? Open to being re-energized by the Holy Spirit? Peter and John in the early church were, and we note it especially in their requests. First, they, they asked in verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats. Consider their threats. That kind of seems like a, a little bit of a lame prayer, doesn't it? How would have you prayed in their situation? My first request might have been, Lord, take your iron scepter and crack some skulls. Smash them to pieces. Show them, Lord. Let's hear some divine laughter. We would likely at least have asked to be taken out of this intimidating, if not terrifying, situation. But they prayed, Lord, would you just give this some consideration? They turned it over to God and said, you worry about it, Lord. How, how willing are we to, to turn our situations over to the Lord? E. Stanley Jones writes in his book, A Song of Ascents, Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. Then he uses this interesting analogy. He says, if I throw out a boat hook from a boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me? Or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. Do we ever pray avoiding saying your will be done because we're afraid what that will might be? I mean, if God allows his son to be crucified and his apostles to be martyred, what's a, what about us? Do we dare pray this way? Well, then they went on and prayed not only consider their threats, but enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So when they finally bought, brought a request... Notice it wasn't for safety or security or a comfortable life. 
They didn't ask for a new commission since the Great Commission was, was proving so dangerous. They prayed for courage to face the situation, to be made bolder, to speak the word of God, that which, of course, was what got them in trouble in the first place. They didn't pray for a way out, but for boldness to maintain their witness and mission. Isn't our first response to tough times, Lord, get me out of this mess? Have we ever prayed rather for the courage to face this mess? For holy boldness? And then they prayed in verse 30, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Again, they could have prayed for circumstances to lighten up for a while. They could have said, well, that miracle didn't convince the people or the leaders, so let's just write them off. Rather, they prayed that God keep showing his power, keep provoking the people and leaders. It was a daring prayer. The miracle had brought them trouble in the first place, and now they were literally asking for more. We usually avoid tr- want to avoid trouble, stay out of situations that make us uncomfortable. Have we ever asked God to put us in a situation so his glory may be made known? Warning, that's a dangerous prayer. He might just answer it. The requests of the early church were not for safety or security or comfort, but rather power and boldness to face their situation. Can that be our prayer for the new year? Boldness, courage to face the situation that God puts us into, that God puts before us. Can that be our prayer as individuals? Where do you need the gift of boldness this week? Is there a situation or person you need to speak a word of comfort to or show an act of love? Is there an opportunity for witness that you just need to take advantage of? A person with whom you need to be reconciled? A place where you need to take your stand for what you believe? A situation where you need to step out in faith? Picture yourself there. How would you act? What would you say? What would you dare And then pray for the power and boldness of the Holy Spirit. Until he became president, Abraham Lincoln didn't really realize his need for a power outside himself. But as president, in dealing with the major crisis of the Civil War, he reflected, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My wisdom and that of all around me seemed insufficient. I've had so many evidences of God's direction, so many instances of times when I've been controlled by some other power than my own will, that I cannot doubt that this power comes from God. I frequently see my way clear to a decision when I'm conscious that I have not sufficient facts on which to found it. I'm satisfied that when the Almighty wants me to do or not do a particular thing, He finds a way of letting me know. I talk to God, and when I do, My mind seems relieved and a way is suggested. The early church prayed and was recharged, filled with the Holy Spirit and put back into work. In our church as well, the rhythm of prayer and power, worship and work is an important part of the church's life and mission. But there's a danger in prayer. God re-energizes us in order to use us. He doesn't want rechargeable Christians wasting energy sitting in the charger or on the shelf. He wants us to get to work. Are we a church? Are we Christians who are at prayer today so that we can be at work for God tomorrow 
in this coming church year. Would you join me in a prayer for the church's worship and work? God of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ you promise to hear us when we pray to you in his name. Confident in your love and mercy we offer our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Empower the church throughout the world in its life and witness. Break down the barriers that divide so that united in your truth and love, the church may confess your name, share one baptism, sit together at one table and serve you in one common ministry. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Strengthen this congregation in its work and worship. Fill our hearts with your self-giving love that our voices may speak your praise and our lives may conform to the image of your Son. Nourish us with your word and sacraments that we may faithfully minister in your name and witness to your love and grace for all the world. O God, in your loving purpose, answer our prayers, fulfill our hopes. In all things for which we pray, give us the will to seek to bring them about for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's respond by singing, Jesus with your church abide. The words and music are taken from the Grace Altar Hymnal, the Grace Altar Hymnal number 508, and we'll stand as we sing the five stanzas.
Our closing challenge